Welcome back, everyone. I'm Sarah Peck, and this is the Startup Pregnant Podcast. How do you love yourself? Or put another way, how do you love yourself? How do you love yourself? All right, let's get into it. If a friend of yours came up to you with bruises and aches, or a child of yours came up to you with an injury, or any child came up to you with an injury, you would hug them, you would help them, you would love them back to health. That is the subject of today's episode. How do you heal from a trauma, especially as a woman? Iman Getty is a certified grief recovery specialist, and today we talk about her path to healing, her business and her parenting journey, and her childhood. Let me tell you a little bit more about Iman. Iman Getty was born and raised in Edmonton, Alberta, to immigrant parents who moved to Canada from Tunisia, North Africa. She is a first-generation Canadian and extremely proud of her heritage and the opportunity her parents have given her by immigrating to Canada to raise their family. However, two months before her seventh birthday, Iman witnessed her father brutally murder her mother. Iman's father was sentenced to 25 years in prison and Iman was put into foster care. She spent the next 12 years living with four different families in 10 different homes and attended 10 different schools. Throughout her life, she experienced and suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, from depression, and from anxiety. These conditions were magnified by the physical, sexual, and emotional abuse she endured while she was in foster care. She invested in years of education, therapy, counseling, and coaching. And today, she has created a remarkable life filled with success, happiness, abundance, gratitude, and forgiveness. She holds a Courageous Living Coaching Certification. She is a certified grief recovery specialist with the Grief Recovery Institute. And she studied with her mentor and her friend, Gabrielle Bernstein, and completed both Spirit Junkie Masterclass Levels 1 and 2. Today, it has been decades since this happened, and she is now a transformational speaker, an empowerment trader, a two-time published author and illustrator, a certified grief recovery specialist. Her memoir is Cracked Open, Never Broken, and her children's book is Fifi's Morning Song. By sharing her story of trauma, as well as the story of triumph, she hopes to inspire the lives of others and spark possibilities for greatness for what lies within all of us. One of the ideas that she shares in her work, her writing, and in our conversation on today's episode is that this idea of becoming is never-ending. We are constantly coming back into ourselves to dig deeper and to become more of who we already are. There is no end, only more, and the depth of our strength is tested because it exists. She says there is always the challenge of finding ourselves through life's transitions, and it is in that discovery that we find our deepest strengths. Welcome to the Startup Pregnant Podcast, where we talk to creative leaders about what it means to be an entrepreneur and a parent. I'm your host, Sarah K. Peck. If you have not checked out our mini books yet, go check them out. We have five mini books for parents, entrepreneurs, and mothers that we are making here at Startup Pregnant. We have the Parenting Reading List, which is if you are busy but you want to know what books I'm reading on parenting, I do this thing where I write a little summary of every book that I've read, and I take notes, and you can just go read my notes. You don't have to read the whole book. From there, if there's a book that catches your interest, you can go get the books that you want, but you don't have to read every single book. 
I'm a big geek and I've done that for you. I also have the pregnancy reading list. Surprise, surprise. That's the same. I take a whole bunch of notes on books and I put them into one book just for you. So that's the parenting reading list and the pregnancy reading list. Both are mini books. They're short. They're not long. And you can skim them and flip them as a Kindle or a PDF or whatever way that you want to read it. I also have three other books. One of them is called Pregnancy Affirmations, and that is for people who are pregnant and want to get some good words in your mind. I reached out and interviewed a whole bunch of people and asked them for their favorite mantras and affirmations. So check that out if you want. There are two more, including the Startup Mama profiles and my favorite, Sticky Situations, which is all about how to get out of sticky situations. If you want to check out any of these mini books, go to startuppregnant.com slash mini books to check them out. We are releasing them throughout 2019. And if you are on our email list, you get a first preview. And I often give out coupons for free copies of these books. We've got five mini books. They're over at startuppregnant.com slash mini books. And the link is in the show notes. If you want to scroll into the show notes and check it out, or go to our website, startuppregnant.com, and look for mini books, and you will get them. The first thing I want to ask you is tell us, what time did you wake up this morning, and what was the first thing you did? (laughs) So the first time I woke up technically this morning was at 3 a.m., and I went and grabbed my babe and changed her and fed her and then tucked her back in. And then I woke up again at 5.45. (laughs) So how old is your little one? She's just about seven months. Yeah. Oh, you're in it. You're in yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're in a real fun leap right now. So it's awesome. <laughs> what time did you all go to sleep last night for the first time and the second time? Yeah. So last night I was actually really disciplined and I said, okay, I'm going to bed before midnight. So I did get into bed at 11, which I thought was a real big win because I've been normally staying up sort of relishing. I'm sure lots of people can empathize. It's just that, that alone time which has been just too delicious. So I've been staying up until like midnight, one o'clock. <laughs> Sometimes you need sleep. Sometimes you need sanity. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So I actually feel refreshed today, which is quite a lovely, luxurious feeling. And then once you got up at 545, what did your morning look like? So, you know, I got to say, I'm really glad that I'm parenting in this time and place because there's all these gadgets and things. And so I put her in her play bed and she has a kick mat and she loves that piano thing and she kicks the crap out of it. And then I get to have a cup of coffee and breakfast. And I then we have breakfast together. I feed her. We do some more playing. I've sort of my project lately has been dedicating one space of a playroom that I'm sort of making her. And that's been really exciting to see her face light up as she sees all the new, you know, decals and stickers and things that are kind of going in this room. And then we play and then it was nap time, which I actually did as well. <laughs> which never happens there. People say like, sleep when your baby sleeps. And I'm like, but when do I clean? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I can lie down, but I don't know if I will fall asleep, but I will work really right. hard to lie down. But it's yeah. hard. It's hard. Some people are champs at it. And it is a skill that I am learning. Yes. I'm open to learning. (laughs) 
Yeah, I think I've sort of decided, okay, I'm actually a little bit nicer if I kind of lay down and have a moment when she does the first time in the day. And so I've been trying to be okay with letting things slide <laughs> around the house. It's such a, it's, it's always a challenge. It's like, do I nap today? Do I do the thing that I want to move forward? And I, it's like a constant jockeying of yeah. which piece is gonna, yeah. Oh, I know. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So then how did you get here on the podcast? Do you have any childcare help with your little one still so little? Are you doing this during nap time? I'm really curious. Actually, my husband is home. So the really fortunate thing about our lives is that we both work from home. And so it's been really nice that we can sort of book each other and put it in each other's calendar when we need the other one to sort of take the reins. Hmm. I love that. I know a couple other families that do that. And I'm always so fascinated by how everyone organizes their day. And this is people know who are listening to this podcast. I'm obsessed with this because I always ask. I'm like, but then what? And then and then how did that work? And how did that work? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's quite luxurious. I have to say, you know, I know a lot of my friends have to figure things out logistically a lot more. And I, I can just sort of pop it in someone's schedule and say, this is what we're doing. <laughs> this is what you're doing that day. That's great. So we, we take turns. So I want to go back in time a little bit and ask you a bigger question than the morning question, which I always ask people first. I want to kind of go way back and ask you about your childhood. And can you tell us about your childhood and what effect that had on you and where you've gotten today? Mm, sure. So I have a and a you know, very interesting, and it was quite a dramatic childhood, unfortunately. So I am a first-generation Canadian, and my parents came from North Africa in the 70s and then picked the coldest place, one of the coldest places on earth to raise their family after leaving Africa. So that's kind of interesting. And then, you know, I have two older brothers, and my mom was a very traditional homemaker. Father worked out of the house. She just adored spending time with her family. And... It was a very chaotic relationship. My father was extremely violent, so much so that when I was six years old, he murdered her in front of me while I laid next to her one night. And that was 30 years ago. And so he orphaned us. He went to prison for life. And obviously, she passed away. And so after that ensued, this, the next, you know, 12 years were just chaos where I lived in home after home after home and suffered an immense amount of abuse and trauma, additional trauma to, to the, that event. And so it was very horrifying to live through, to think about. I know you said you're reading my memoir right now. So you have all the, the, the details and it was just really, really difficult to say the least to grow up that way and to have this sort of broken pieces of what a family would look like when I finally got to that place, which is what I've looked forward to my entire life. Yeah. How did that influence and direct what you are now working on today? Like, take us through that evolution. So I was all too aware that I was not quote unquote normal and that I would have a lot more work to do to get to the same level that other children had, having come from a happy home, or at least a loving home and caring home, where people, you know, encouraged you and nurtured you. And so when I turned 18, it was very obvious to me that I was not at the same emotional level as other people. And so I really did take it upon myself to decide 
And it was a very conscious decision to say, no, Iman, we're going to, we're not going to let this change the rest of our lives. Like it has changed enough and I'm going to do everything I can to be the healthiest person that I can. And I really did take responsibility for that. And I realized that no one was going to save me or change that in my soul. And so I immersed myself in intense therapies, everything. I I would try everything, anything that I could, because I knew one day in my mind's eye that I was going to be happy, that I was going to have someone who loved me, that I loved, and that I was going to be a mom. And I was going to make up for that time that my mom missed out on for me. And so I was extremely motivated. And I just happened to be a super a type personality. So that kind of went together really well. And I really did work my butt off to to be here today. And I was able to heal myself so much that I went to therapy one day and my therapist was like, Iman, honey, I love you. You're fine. I could keep taking your money, but you're fine. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, she's like, you can come here every week and I'll take the couple hundred bucks, but you're fine. And I was like, really? But I mean, look how I grew up. And she's like, yeah, but you've done the work. Look at how hard you worked. Like I have people coming in here who have more problems than you that were loved to bits. So get out of here. Right. (laughs) So, (laughs) so that felt good. (laughs) What a good therapist. Yeah. So it was, it was, that was a real, it's a stamp. I kind of needed that permission to say, okay, I I did it. Mm -hmm. In the memoir, you talk about how much you loved your mom. Mm-hmm. And and what an important role she played in your life. Like what a special relationship you had. Can you mm-hmm. can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. So I have the privilege to remember my mom only for six years that I had her, right? Almost seven. And so when you think of kids now, now and I'm looking at my daughter, how she learns, you know, she, she's not going to remember probably till she's about three or four, if she's really good at remembering. And so I probably only had about a couple of years of memory, if we're really technical. And so at that time, five or six years old, you know, your mom's this, your hero, she knows all the things. And I remember her thinking of her that she knew everything, like just, I was in awe of how smart she was. And I would ask to play at a friend's house. And then she would go, well, what's her phone number? What's her parents' name? And I would say, Mom, you know, Susie, mm. right? It's Susie. Like, you know. And she would remember her saying to me, like, you I don't know everyone's phone number. And I was like, but there's a book with phone numbers in it. And you're so smart. So I just have this imagining of her that is is all love. I mean, she taught me, you know, a lot of skills before she left this earth. And she, we worked on my writing and she taught me how to spell. And I spoke three languages, English, Arabic, and French. I went to a French school. She taught me to dress myself. You know, she was very immaculate with how I looked and she loved having a little girl. And she really did the painting of the nails and did my hair just so. And she just, what I got from her was unconditional love, what that really felt like. And it was every day, Iman, what are you going to be when you grow up? And I would only want to be a ballerina or any kind of dancer. I wanted to be a supermodel or I wanted to be a princess. Like these were the three top things that I wanted to be when I grew up. And she would always say, you can do any of those things, but whatever you do, just love it and do your best. Hmm. And I remember that. And I remember after she passed, I was so desperate to keep those that good feeling. You know, you don't know what you have till it's gone. And I didn't realize that the world wasn't kind. It's heartbreaking. It's absolutely heartbreaking. Like, I don't ever wish that on anyone. And I feel like so many people go through maybe not just maybe they don't go through the level of intensity that you go through. But 
when you realize that the world isn't what you thought it was is such mm. a heartbreaking moment and mm-hmm. realization. How does this progress? You go through you know, decades of work and and you have trauma therapy and we work with therapists and I know that you mm-hmm. have a lot of different programs that you've gone through, the spirit mm-hmm. junkie training and the grief recovery specialist certification. Mm-hmm. How does this lead you to where you end up work-wise? Can you talk about your career and and your 20s? Sure. So my main mission in my 20s was, oh, dear God, I'm free. Just be normal. <laughs> right? Because it was just this, it was like the wildest, bumpiest, craziest ride to get to 18. And then when I turned 18, I was like, okay, just be normal. <laughs> dear God, we've been so dysfunctional up until now. And so I thought normal was be you know excellent at business. And I knew that I always wanted to work for myself, but I didn't quite know how to get there. So I just started being the best at business. So I became a travel agent at first, and that was fun to travel the world. And then I just got into high finance and advertising and, and just started working my way up sort of the corporate ladder. I worked I got to travel the world again. I got to, you know, excel and I got to make money, which is those things that I never had as a kid. And I thought that was really important money when you some of the homes I lived in were extremely poverty stricken. So that was something like, okay, you're doing it if you have money. But what I realized is that no matter how much money I made, I still felt I wasn't making a difference. And no matter that I was healed for myself, I felt that I could be of more service to the world. And I think that was the most beautiful realization was that why don't you help someone else not have to struggle the way you did? And why don't you help women that need to help, you know, need a little encouragement and help and and maybe some a new way of thinking so that they can empower themselves. And when I realized that had been something that was in my soul, but I didn't know how to articulate that I wanted to empower women. When I discovered that I, I was like, it's like this bomb just went off and all like, I just felt so connected. And I thought, Oh, my goodness, I need to train for this. And so I met, I heard of Kate Swoboda and the courageous living coaching certification. And I so I took that and I took the spirit junkie trainings. And then I became a grief recovery specialist. And I felt like this is the trifecta that I needed so that I could help people and help women particularly to overcome their trauma while at the same time stepping into their limitless potential. What did that look like to start down the path of that as a business? How did you get your first clients and what was it like to put that together? I think it was really scary and raw and I, I because all of a sudden I wanted to have a business. Like I could have a business. My first entrepreneurial experience was I started a shoe company because I thought, everyone tells you to do what you love. And I looked around my house and I was like, well, I have 400 pairs of shoes. So I think that's what I love. <laughs> so why don't I bring these to the... <laughs> sell shoes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, I'll sell, I'll import shoes from around the world, design shoes, and it'll be amazing. And it, it really was. But again, it was missing. So I got closer because I was working with women. I was having these great conversations with my clients. And then all of a sudden, but I wasn't having the deep enough conversations. So I realized, okay, I think I have to be more vulnerable here and share my story so that other people feel safe to be vulnerable with me. And when I realized that the piece of me that was beforehand quite shameful, right, to have come from this life felt there was a lot of shame around that, you know, orphaned and murder. And it was in the papers and it was just a very like too much 
publicity for my pain. And I think I didn't realize even though I'd healed that I was still sort of holding it back. And when I realized that I wanted to be a life coach, the first thing I realized was, girl, you're going to have to share. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like if you want women to share and you want them to heal, then you're going to have to show them how you healed. Yeah. And that was really frightening for me. How did you deal with that? I surrendered. I literally surrendered. I just fell to my knees one day and I was like, I said to the universe, like, show me what I'm supposed to do because I'll do it because I've been through everything that I could ever endure. And I have survived that. And I know that this won't be worse than that. So please show me how I can be of the most service. And I kept meditating on this idea that I could be of service. How could I be of service? And I kept kind of hearing share your story, man, share your story. And I was like, Oh, heck no, I don't want to do this, right? Like, this isn't, I don't want to share this story. It's brutal. I just worked so hard to forget this story. I don't want to talk about it anymore. And then I flew to New York to meet Gabby Bernstein and uh, take one of her courses. And I the first night I, I raised my hand, and I said, Gabby, like, I want to help women. I really do. But I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it. I don't know where to start. And she looked at me. And she goes, honey, share your story. And I thought, oh, great. I've been meditating on this for a year. I keep hearing share your story. I fly to New York to hear the same message. All right, I get it. I'll share my story. So I wrote it out. I decided to write a writer. I wrote it out. I wrote it down and I decided to make a talk of it and to write a speech and to share it that way. What was the writing process like? A lot of tears, a lot of ripping it up and throwing it away and feeling unworthy of sharing and unworthy of you know, the journey that I, I'm on. I think I'm really hard on myself and I'm not a perfectionist. Like I know that life is imperfect, but I just, I want so much in this life. You know, I, I really have a very specific feeling of how fleeting life is. Like I, I know if you've ever seen someone lose their life, it's, it's just this really, it's there and then it's not. And it almost feels like a gamble, right? Like, I mean, it is a gamble life. You don't know when your card's up. And I just felt like it was so important what I wanted to share that I didn't want to get it wrong. And so I think when I gave myself some forgiveness and a leeway to be imperfect and to show up and if you cry, you cry. I had this hang up like, what if I cry when I say it? What's everyone going to think if I'm crying on stage? And I thought, you know what, girlfriend, you are one of the cry, more like tear-ridden person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> people on the earth and like it's so authentic for me to tear up so I'm probably gonna cry and so once I I accepted those pieces of myself that this is how I show up sometimes I cry like if I'm not myself then there's no point to any of this so you know what I still give speeches and I still tear up and I'm okay with that now I'm so glad you said that out loud because I'm <laughs> such a I'm such a crier in person or too whatever yeah. that phrase is and yeah. I I can't help it and sometimes I get really frustrated by it and then other times I think it's so useful like somebody I happen to be pregnant now while we're recording and someone the other day was like like really in shock that I was six months pregnant. He thought I was like ready to pop. He couldn't believe I had three more oh. months and he was just like you're right. really big and I <laughs> like. I just think sometimes bursting into tears at something like that is a good is good feedback for other humans. Yeah. Like you <laughs> suck. You suck at talking. You did this. Yeah. <laughs> you suck at talking. It's the truth. I, I had the same experience. People are like, You're huge. Or, has someone weighed your baby? Is it safe? Like <laughs> Honestly, I wonder, I'm like, did you think about that before you let it come out of your mouth? <laughs> yeah. 
I think crying is a perfectly acceptable response to a lot of things. And I think that we're taught as humans that it's a weakness. Hmm. Agree. And it's not (laughs) true. It's a form of expression. And if your body is naturally responding that way, then it is unnatural to sort of hold that in and to berate yourself on top of it for having those feelings, right? Now we could talk about this for hours. But like, I think so much of our pain in our society is from not allowing ourselves to feel our feelings, like to actually know and identify what feelings we have, and to be okay that they're there and then deal with them. It's astonishing to me. Okay, wait, back to the book. So the book (laughs) is hard to wrangle. I feel like writing and entrepreneurship and parenting, all of these things, to me, at least have always been these more than I expect, although I should know better by now, these psychological experiences where I just I learned so much about myself. I'm just Mm -hmm. like, Oh, like, who am I? And and what is this like? And what was that like? So how long did it take you to write the book? And did you have any hesitation about finally shipping it and publishing it? Mm -hmm. Yes, it took a lot longer. So the actual writing, if I condensed it all and took out all the other parts, it was only six months of writing, but it took two and a half years to write it. (laughs) So it was so much healing in regards to writing it. So I made a promise to myself that you weren't allowed to be in my book unless you were forgiven. And forgiveness is a really big part of my life. And it's, it's really something, the only reason I can be here today is because of forgiveness. So I told that to myself, like, you can't tell the story if it's still unforgiven. And so I had to go through each lovely person that had made their mark on me and forgive and forgive and forgive. And that's not an easy thing. Mm -hmm. So I was in like forgiveness boot camp for two and a half years where I just was releasing and, and sometimes I wasn't ready. And so I, you know, forgiveness has to be something that you're willing to do. So Sometimes I couldn't write for weeks or months, right? I would just be in complete denial, like, no, I'm not doing this resistance, resistance, resistance. And then one day I would open up and be like, okay, I'm ready for this. And I had to be very kind to myself. I mean, what a what a gauntlet to carry or what a stack because each person, that is an archival process of going through your histories. I don't know if I yeah. could do that. <laughs> There's some some cobwebs in my closets. For sure. Wow. And I wanted the book to not have any shame, right? So, and I told myself, I'm going to write it as though I'm sitting at a coffee shop with my best girlfriend and I'm looking her in the eye and I haven't seen her forever. And I'm saying, this is my story. And so the great thing is I've heard people that have read it tell me, Iman, I felt like you were just talking to me. And that means so much to me because I wrote it just like I was just talking to you because I couldn't even comprehend having more than one person read it while I was writing it, right? It was like, oh, God, no, everyone's going to know. They're going to see me who I am. Ah, And as much as we want to be seen, we don't really want to be seen that deeply. Yeah, it's so true. (laughs) I I find that advice really helpful. The idea of thinking of one person sometimes, Mm -hmm. like it's not like all the readers, because that's just sometimes a lot of pressure, but just having, oh, I'm talking to my friend Emma, or this Mm -hmm. is like, this chapter is for my friend Alex. Like, she asked me all these questions, and I'm just going to sit down and I'm going to tell her all the stuff I know, can Mm -hmm. really help take the pressure off of Otherwise, it's like your life. How do you tell your life? You know, it's too hard. Right. And sometimes we focus too much on the receiving and not the giving. 
Mm-hmm. And I really think if you focus your message on what you have to give, as opposed to what you think people want to receive, then you come from a place that's so much more profound within your soul because you you already know how to tell the stories. That's really interesting. So take us into the present moment. What are you building and working on now? And what does your business look like? And what's exciting for you about it? Mm. Well, so, so yeah, so when I was pregnant, I got to publish the darn thing and it was amazing. And that was really intense for <laughs> having all the emotions on top of that. And then now baby girl's alive and kicking and I'm working on course creation. And a lot of, I've been doing a lot of keynote speeches and I love speaking. It's one of my favorite things to do. And of course, I'm, I always have books up my sleeve. So I have two books in my head that I'm working on, not actively writing, but I have pieces of them written. And so I have another book coming sometime and I don't know when, but it's, it's creating, it's in the middle of creating. And then I just finished, I'm finishing a course right now that I created online. It's called Soulful Self-Love and it takes people through a self-love journey, four weeks of boundaries and forgiveness and just what self-love looks like and really claiming your life. And then I have a few more courses that I'll be launching this year. So I'm really excited about that. I'm so excited about these book projects. Can you tell us a little bit about what they're... Sure. Or hint at them a little bit? Yeah, yeah. So... I'll obviously, ne- I, not obviously, but I will never write a memoir again because it took all I had to get that out. And I think that's as much as I'm willing to <laughs> write about my past in that one big chunk. So that's kind of the get to know me story. And then I want to work on pieces that allow people to, to really go into the forgiveness journey and actually actively forgive. So I really want to help people to understand what it means to forgive. I think sometimes it's this elusive thing that we don't understand and that it's sort of some of us are lucky enough to experience and some people can't grasp how to get there. And so I really want to get into a little bit more detail with people on here's how you actively do it. If you're ready, willing and able, I'll hold your hand. We go together. You by the end, you let go. This I really want to dig into like what does that look like? What does that process look like? Because I know that I have, I call them hangnails in my life. Like, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> like thorns, you know, those things where like, it's so small, but then you can't let go of it because it's stuck mm-hmm. and you got to, and until you get the nail clippers and you're like, really get at it. Mm-hmm. Well, what does it look like? How, how does it work? What can so, people listening do? The first step, honestly, is willingness. Like, are you willing? Because if you're not willing, we can't get in the car, right? We're not getting anywhere. So a lot of people want to be on the other end. And I always say this to my clients. You, some people want to be healed, okay? And some people want to heal. Now, to be healed has nothing to do with you. You are not the active participant. So that's probably not going to work for, good for you. To heal means you are willing to do what it takes to heal. And then you get to be healed. So you need to be willing. You need to be able to show up. And I always say there's only one answer that I'm looking for when I say, what are you willing to do? Mm. Whatever it's going to take. Yeah, that's hard. That's mm-hmm. hard because you're like, oh, I have to be a participant in this. And there's something mm-hmm. there's something nice about wishing that somebody else would fix it for of you. Of course. Of course. <laughs> of course. But I, I like to use this example. If you woke up tomorrow morning and your car 
that was parked outside of your house was busted up on blocks. The windshield was cracked, smashed open. The, everything was robbed out of the car. The stereo's missing. The tires are, you know, the missing. Everything's gone. If you woke up and saw that, your first reaction, besides all of the rage, would be, oh, God, now what do I do? I got to call my insurance. I got to call the police. I got to call people. I got to do something, right? Now, when you look at pain and, and trauma and resentment, what happens is someone hurts us, they violate us, they do something to us, right? And what we normal humans do is we wait for them to come back and fix it. Yeah. But we don't wait for when actual things in our life happen. We don't wait. We're active. We're really, okay, that guy's not going to, the robber's not going to come back and make you feel better about your car, right? That's, yeah, you got to get in there. Yep. And it sucks, right? Of course it sucks. But I believe you are the one who's going to own the prize and there's nothing more grateful, more glorious, more beautiful than being happy in your skin and loving yourself and knowing that you, you are in charge. And what happens when we hold on to resentment is that someone else is running the show. You have let them live inside you. You are letting people poison your garden. You are actively participating in your destruction. And I, I will not have it, you know, and after a lifetime of that I've had, I, I know the glory it is to get to the top of the mountain and say, okay, yeah, it was hard, but you know what? Now that I'm here, it's easy. Something I love about what you're saying too, it reminds me that <laughs> there's always something, an action step that you can take. Like we're mm -hmm. never truly a passive participant in most, maybe I won't say all, but in most situations. Right. And being able to say, well, what's the thing that I can control and what can I do? Mm -hmm. you know, what can I do within this? That's, you know, hey. I woke up, life served me a shit sandwich, and mm -hmm. I'm like, stupid human today, so-and-so mm -hmm. did such and such, this happened to me, that happened to me, what's still within my control? Like, what mm -hmm. can I, what I can do is respond or choose how I respond. That's right. So now I want to ask you about, because this is the Startup Pregnant Podcast, I want to <laughs> ask you about your parenting journey and how that layers into this entrepreneurship and writing path that you've shared with us. When did you start your own path into becoming a parent and what did that look like for you? So when I wanted to become a parent, so I had been, been with my husband for four and a half years now. And so we were only, we got married in August and by before we got married, we had started to plan for a family. And I said, you know, I'm 35. Things are looking me in the eyes. Like, I want to have a baby before I'm 40. What's that look like? And I don't care if I'm married type thing. I know you're the one for me. So we started actively trying. And it wasn't, I thought, you know, all my life, I've been trying not to get pregnant. So when I wanted to get pregnant, I thought, like, it'll just be this magical, easy thing <laughs> that happens, which is so naive. And uh, it wasn't easy and it didn't happen and months went by and I thought oh this is interesting I I guess I've taken for granted that this is a not a, a simple thing and so we started looking into you know should I do acupuncture and all these things I was like eating herbs and I'm you know doing all these things and as much as I could do in my control naturally that I thought I could help and little did I know that I was under such immense stress with my work that my body I think was just not participating in the stress and having a baby situation at the same time. I was still under contract with a high finance firm and my heart wasn't in it as I was, I had my own company and I was also not willing to let go of this business part, this 
corporation that I was contracted to. And so there came a time when I was, I couldn't hold on to everything at the same time. Like I was like, I can't be a mom and write my book and have my coaching practice and work in high finance. Like I can't do all these things at the same time. And so the high finance piece let go and it really shifted everything. It was like, Hey, I'm going to fully work on coaching and writing. And as soon as I finished my book, like literally two weeks later, I was pregnant. And I was like, wild. That's wild. Yeah. And it was almost like the, you know, universe was like, girl, you can't do all this at the same time. (laughs) Like you got to open your hands. We always want to receive, but we don't want to open our hands. So you find out you're pregnant. I find out I'm pregnant. And I was, it was beautiful. It was amazing. I really embraced that. It was something that I'd looked forward to my whole life, you know, and I, I felt really interesting because then as a grief recovery specialist, all of a sudden I was suffering from grief of my mom again. When I thought I couldn't grieve her anymore, I get pregnant and I realize I miss my mommy. Oh God. Yeah. Right. Like I, I want to share this with her. And yeah. I thought, oh crap. I, I mean, I just got married the year before and I thought that was a new thing too. I was like, oh, I miss my mom on my wedding day. But then all of a sudden I was like, oh, I need my mom today. Like I miss my mommy now. Who's going to teach me this stuff? And so I had to go through another bout of grief recovery and um, missing her, deepening my love for her and understanding that I was going to honor her and respect her even more because I got to experience what glimpses of what she might have felt when she had me. And I've been feeling that ever since. And I just, I look at my daughter and I think, mom, I get it. I get it. I get why you did those things. I get why you know, I was spoiled. I get why you didn't want to say no, it's hard. It's hard to take things away. It's hard to like, make all these decisions all the time. And then I also think like, oh, my God, how much it takes of your soul. Oh, how weary you must have been like, and she had three. And I'm thinking I have one and I'm like, I'm tired. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so as a, a mom, I'm looking at my daughter, wanting to have that finesse that the balance between wanting to protect her and save her from the world and wanting to teach her how to be without me in the world. And it's been a dance that I'm not near, you know, good at yet, but I get time, I hope. Oh, it is. Parenting is growing businesses and and being a parent are the biggest brain. Yeah. I'm not going to say the (laughs) F word. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But you know, like it's just such a, such a revealing process and it's so humbling and it's so like just constantly grappling with, well, how do I make really great decisions? Because I have all these conflicting desires about, I want to do the best for you and I want to give you everything. And no, you can't have that. (laughs) And this is a lesson or am I going to take it the easy way because mommy needs an easy moment right now. And so here have the thing or whatever, right? Like, and, <laughs> totally. and also like entrepreneurship is so creative. And for me, and I know a lot of other people, when you're creative, you need space, you need space to have ideas and you need space and quiet to have ideas. And so that's the other thing is like, sometimes I'm writing things and I'm bouncing my baby or I'm breastfeeding right at my computer. And it's, it's not the space that I would like to have the moments that I can create. in, <laughs> And I can't force myself to create before I would have told you, I couldn't force myself to create. Now I'm breastfeeding and writing things that I'm really proud of. <laughs> so I don't know. I guess I'm learning to find the muse when I have the 20 minutes. 
I know. I always feel like like what we mentioned with the naps at the beginning of the episode. Yeah. I feel like there's skills in progress where I'm like, oh, nope, I've never been good at this. And now is my opportunity to learn. Like, yeah. how do I get really good at shipping something in under 20 minutes? Or yeah. <laughs> like, I am a terrible napper. And that's how I've been for 30 plus years. But what if I'm just open to the fact that maybe I can get better at napping starting now? Right. <laughs> yeah. And being willing to sort of ebb and flow, right? Because when I first, which, you know, you bring home the newborn, I was like, well, what am I going to write? I write a blog every day. Like every day, that's something that I do for my self-care and also creativity and also business. So it's sort of like a really important piece for me. And I thought, when the heck am I going to write this blog? And the answer was when you wake up at 4 a.m. And I thought, okay, I'm not going to go sit at my computer, but I'll write it on my phone. I'll write it in the notes. Like, I am now downsized to writing things on my phone because that's the surrender piece for me. It's like, girl, you're not going to get into your office today, but you're going to have all kinds of pockets of time in the middle of the night where someone's eating and you can half brain, half dead, write this thing. And I found that in the middle of the night is kind of a holy time because you're not, you don't have a lot of thoughts yet. of the day. Yeah. And there's not a lot of distraction in your brain and I actually wrote some beautiful things. <laughs> it's such a beautiful time. And it's something I struggle with the most right now as a parent is like the my sweet spot hours, the like 7 to 10am, which is yeah. I'm a morning person and I adore writing and I like it when my brain is the clearest. Like uh-huh. that is making a lunch, getting a toddler dressed, getting a toddler right. on the toilet, getting a toddler back on the toilet, changing the pants <laughs> yeah. he peed into. Yeah. Getting him in the stroller, getting him onto the subway, getting him to daycare. And it's just like by the time I get back by about 9, 9.30, sometimes 10, I'm like, like, can I have chocolate ice cream? Yeah. I'm like, I like chocolate ice cream and wine. Chocolate ice cream, wine, and the bachelorette. Like that is all I can do. I love that. Yeah. It's like, can I have all the treats right now? Totally. Totally. Or like I'll stop at both coffee shops, like on both corners, because I'm like, I want two croissants. Yes, yes. That's awesome. Yeah, it's it's so difficult. And I I thought when people, you know, the unsolicited advice of warning that you get every time, you know, you're pregnant or you're gonna have a baby or something, people are like constantly barrage of be careful, don't worry, it's gonna be like this, it's gonna be like this. And you sort of think, Whoa, dude, relax. But I thought when people said it was gonna be so hard. I honestly was so new that I thought that they were talking about the baby. And now when I'm here, I'm like, oh, no, it's not the baby part is is the like matter of fact stuff like, OK, feed, change, clean, sleep, like very to the point. The hard stuff is your psyche, your soul, your body aching at the same time as someone demanding you to do these things. And I was like, oh, the hard part was my soul changing. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> I was stupid enough to think it was like the baby part. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. There's, I think there's an opportunity and I'm sure for everyone it's different. There's an opportunity for some profound transformation. But the thing is, is sometimes it comes whether you want it or not. Like you don't <laughs> want to change and, and the universe is like, oh no, no, no. Yeah. These are waves. The ocean, mm-hmm. it's big. We're going mm-hmm. in. And it's just really, it's, 
The struggle is real. It's yeah, smack down, smack down. Yeah. By the way, I, it's like you're like, but I just want to. I just, I thought I was good at surfing. I thought I was good at it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing, right? Yeah, it's like you think you're good at something, and the world's like, no, but you can be better at this. <laughs> yeah, it's been a really like, oh, oh, every day, like brain opening, exploding, like oh, and then all of a sudden crying and going. This is so hard. I don't know why. I thought it was going to be different. Like, why is this so hard? And then having to do it, not having to, but choosing to do it with a partner, right? And then you're like, oh, now I got to think about you too. Are you kidding me? I'm done. I'm tired. What do you need? <laughs> what, what's you're doing? What are you doing over there? <laughs> Taking care of humans, interacting with other humans. Like, just humans are hard. Humans are hard. <laughs> but it's so re- like I told like my husband, I'm like, this is the most profoundly beautiful and terrifying and inconvenient and adorable thing I've ever done. Like, never been more proud and exhausted. So, Iman, where well, before I get to where people can find you, I wanna know if you could give a message to women to other fellow seekers and fellow women going through heartbreak or transformation and doing the work, what do you wish more people knew? Mm. I wish more people trusted and had faith that it was going to work out. I wish more women would meet themselves where they are and actually look at themselves in the mirror and say like, this part's not feeling good. This part over here needs a little love. This part has a scrape on it. This part's molding a little bit and acknowledge that those are the hurts that you have and look at them. Because if a friend came to you and sat next to you and said, girlfriend, oh my God, look at this cut. Look at this bruise. Look at this battered body. You would caress her. You would hold her in your arms and you would love her back to health. You would do whatever it took to make that friend feel loved and worshiped and adored and healed and safe. And I wish more women looked at their bodies, their souls, their minds and said, here's what needs loving. And I'm going to wrap my arms around you and I'm going to do what it takes to heal. And I'm going to come back up here and I'm going to climb up with these scars and these stories and these tales. And I'm going to show another woman how to love herself too. That. (laughs) Yes to that. (laughs) Where can people find you and your work across the internet? So I'm at imangetti.com, I-M-A-N-G-A-T-T-I.com. You can find me on all the social things at the same name. And that's where I'll be. You can get my book on Amazon. It's called Cracked Open, Never Broken. And I love to be in touch. Reach out. Mm, Thanks so much for being here. Ah, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for reaching out. And this was awesome. What a what a beautiful, beautiful gift you bring to women for this podcast to be available. I think it's phenomenal. I think we all need to be connected. I think we all need someone like you to, to bring these things to light and to let us know we're not alone. And you know, I always say this and I mean it. Leave us a review on iTunes if you like our show. It takes a few seconds and it really does help us a lot. If you want more of what we're talking about, go over to startuppregnant.com and get on our email list. We send out a weekly newsletter with time-saving tips for parents and entrepreneurs. And I always include a weekly gadget or tool or something awesome that we've stumbled upon to help make your life just a little bit easier. And as always, you can reach out to us at hello at startuppregnant.com. We love hearing from you.